So hopefully this time I'll be able to record a little bit better. So I'm sat in the quiet gaming zone at Aircon. Just, uh, just got here. Had a little bit of faff trying to get the COVID pass to work. It sounds a little bit muffled because I've got a mask on, but everything here is looking pretty nice so far. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of people around, a lot of interest. The people with board games, the uh, bring and buy sale looks really fun. It's an extremely British concept for any American listeners. Uh, the idea of bringing something and having it sold and then you can collect a little bit of money at the end. Uh, I've donated mine to the Ukraine charity, so hopefully uh, that will all sell. So if anybody wants to grab some Pathfinder adventures that were made by a very cool uh, British game designer, then you can go to the Bring and Buy sale and check those out, which I think will be really fun. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go and have another little explore, maybe grab a coffee and uh, see if I can find anybody to chat to. In March, I went to Aircon, an analog gaming convention in Harrogate, North Yorkshire, United Kingdom. This was my first time going to a con and at face-to-face -face interviews for Yes Indeed Pod. Here are my chats with a few analog game designers. My first interview of the day was with board game designer Sam of SE Games, where we played their new game Tile Tactics, a simple and satisfyingly tactile tile-laying area control game which was a lot of fun. Have a listen, and see what you think. <laughs> okay. you want to go first or me? Uh, I'll, I'll let you go first, yeah? Okay, play style? Don't know. Right. Um, so we're not playing with the outer... Yes, outer, outer two, that's fine. Right, I'll try it there. This is going to be completely naive because I've never played this before. As pretty much, so keep it hidden. Keep, keep it hidden. Keep cards that, hidden. So I don't sense. know what you got. Yeah, that, that is logical. Otherwise, I'll play against you because I know you've got X cards. So there is I... no limit to how many cards you have. Right. So if I play this tile here and then play a card, is that something you I can do? You show the card before. Right. You okay. So if I do that, so you got to take that. So area. I take all of that area yep. around it. Okay. Right. I understand. So. Um, as we're doing an interview, I suppose I'd probably better ask you, would you like to introduce yourself and your company and let us know what you do in, well, analog games, I suppose we're going with today. Yeah, um, I'm Sam and I'm the founder and designer of SE Games. Excellent. I've got two games that I've got here at And I'm just basically a designer and self-publishing. Fantastic. Um, and we're playing... Tile Tactics. Tile Tactics, that's it, yeah. Which is a tile laying and area control game? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, okay, we'll take that. And then. Uh, object, so the object of the game is to have the most on the board. The most on the board at the end of the game, yep. which is being quite I'm fun. I'm going to play a thief card, so oh. I can steal three of your tiles. Alright, that's reasonable. That's cool. Uh, when's this game coming out? Is um, it out now? It would have been. It would have been. But due to cars not turning up in time, I'm pre-ordering for early May. Okay. But if anybody's going to the UK Game Expo, it will be for sale there. Sometimes you do much better playing blind. <laughs> I think that probably requires a certain level of board game knowledge, but you know. <laughs> Well, no, the kind of board games I normally play with my kids, and they're uh, six and four, so they don't. Actually, they'd be able to play this. Quite like my other they'd game probably then. really like this, yeah. Because my other game is based off uh, rock paper scissors. Okay, 
never... when they play rock paper scissors, they just make up new weapons and like it's so you can't it make new weapons. Up, it's because it's a ends card up being game. really violent. Because <laughs> my whole in designing is a family fun games. Yeah, so I can see. You all know, my games I, I try to design are. Are simple enough for children to play and enjoy, but not yeah. far too simple that adults feel, oh, I don't want to play this. So they've got maybe a bit of strategy, a few other games I'm working on, maybe a bit more strategy than others, but the first two are definitely got a little bit of element of strategy in thinking about it. Did you just play? I, can't I did, play. I just placed a card. That's always the rule with board games, if you don't know whose turn it is, then it's probably your turn. Um, Unless you play Exploding Kittens, which then if you say who turn it is, you get a you get a cat collar thing to wear. I actually have that game as well. Yeah, it's like, I love that game. <laughs> I love that one. It's kind of cute. It's a uh, it's a bit much for me. <laughs> Speed up, like this three times. And this oh, is what well, I do. Oh, if sorry. You keep, yeah, if you keep I keep revealing that. that I yeah. will. <laughs> this is two to four player. Two to four player. Which a two player game? You just don't. You don't. Include the outer ring. Okay, yeah. Simply because you won't have enough tiles to finish. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> ah, lost a card. I know. It's nice to see how many uh, kids there are here and how many families there are. It's like yeah, a really they, they, family friendly space. They said, they said there'd be way more here today than yesterday. Because of school. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Which is why we did do really that yesterday. Um, now then. It's my turn. It is your so, turn. Yes. Could you block me? Uh, I need to place a tile first. You do. And then I can take one. I, I told you he had another <laughs> one! God! Now it's gonna work. All of this. Yeah. Sorry. I mean... I You've had all three of them. It's reasonably... Oh, really? You've had all three well, of that, them. That's, uh, that's Max of the deck not being shuffled very well, you know? Or maybe it's or, just good luck. on purpose. Yeah. I intentionally shuffle it like that, and I have to continue this, which means I have to fill that in. Yeah. Which I think you won. I think. I mean, I think it's fair to say that. Uh, I don't that think seems, I even need to tell. Seems reasonable. Yeah, yeah. The human eye is good at judging area. But yes, apparently. So. And the best part, all the board is fabric, which is also in the bag. That's very, very nice. You know, I like so that a lot. All comes it's very in the bag. cute. <clears throat> So yeah, thank you very much for showing me that game. I think that's and really interesting. Are you destroying me at my own game? <laughs> well, you know, I'm still not convinced that you didn't let me win, so I'll, I'll help you tidy up at least. No, I think that's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I think kids would really enjoy that. So, uh, if you say the name of the game again and then do your, your company. It's Tile Tactics. Tile Tactics. Oh, we're SE Games. SE Games. So look out for that, and uh, so yeah, you can pre-order that now. Is there a website we can get that from? Uh, we were only doing pre-orders at this event. So oh, okay. It's currently not online. Right. Because well, we were planning to have it selling fully, so it's sort of like a compromise. But it will be on retail in May and also at the UK Game Expo. Oh, fantastic. Ready. All right. Well, thank you very much again, Sam, and uh, enjoy your day. Good luck with the rest of the convention. I spotted another beautiful looking board game next, the visually arresting game Snapshot from Paper Boat Games. Whilst we played, and I got the sharp end of the softest hard sell ever, I had a chat with designer Richard about crowdfunding the game. Excellent. Don't get too soft on people. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good too. So would you like to just take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in analog games? Yeah. 
Uh, so I'm Richard from Paperboat Games. Um, this is our first game, Sapshot, which we, uh, I think like a lot of people, we created it in lockdown. Um, we thought we really have always wanted to make a game and uh, we set each other little challenges. Uh, so I came up and told Marcus, because uh, he's a photographer, uh, to make a game about wildlife photography. I gave him a little brief and he took it from there and then we all collaborated. And so this is what we come up with. It's um, a wildlife photography game competing to become photographer of the year. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It looks it looks really interesting. So uh, I guess let's dive in. There's a couple Excellent. of animals still out. I don't know if they're supposed to be yeah, there. So we've got fit starts. Okay. And cool. then we'll draw more in. So shall I start? Sorry, yeah, you start, and you can show me. Uh, so I'll start with a couple done. of tokens. You'll get three for coming for starting seconds. In the rainforest, it's worth five. This gorilla. So yeah, they go up more hard they are to photograph. And these have really nice art on as well. I really like the photos here. Don't yeah, I? we sort of. Um, I'm is a photographer, but. Um, I didn't quite have the budget to sort of jet set around right, the world. Quite hard so, to get the actual photos. Yeah, so yeah. we looked at like a consistent package of things we could license. Really. Yeah, some of these animals yeah. I've never even heard of, so this is really nice to, uh, yeah, we tried to kind to of get a little bit of educational in here yeah, as well. Yeah, we're supposed to be like <laughs> photographing the rarest animals and the prestige, so. Really nice. Yeah, we tried to think of uh, yeah. a few ones. Okay. Uh, so I guess it's. I don't, I don't know what you do now on your turn. Um, uh, yeah, so I took the token, so I can go again. It's more like a pushing like element. Uh -huh. uh, oh, the raccoon lives in, amazingly, any of these habitats. Rainforest, uh, really? Wow, I did not know yeah. that. Uh, so I can okay, so you've got wildcard ones yeah, as well. It that you doesn't count as set collection, but... Um, but it's a low number, so I guess it's good to yeah, put. Yeah, so I put them in the... Oh, no, it's quite so high. Quite easy. So I can't remember yeah. which one is... Oh man, have you got you've got little uh, number fives as well? Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. swap that for that. That's cute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. So you developed this during lockdown. I mean, yes. that's a sensible time to develop yeah, a game when you. <laughs> and uh, it's your first game that's out now, presumably. Uh, yes, we did a Kickstarter. Fantastic. Uh, we got it smashed last week, which was fantastic. We've obviously never done this before, and. Uh, we're oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then How? we're just um, selling the Kickstarter copies now that are left. How was your experience of running a Kickstarter? Did you? Um, yeah, I mean, we were totally in at the deep end. Um, oh, can I return but... these to the? Oh. If they're in the reserve, can you put those? Oh, that's your reserve. Yeah, you can yeah. put it in. Yeah. Just put it on the side, just because you have to. Um, you have to roll for it this turn. If you go for it. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Because uh, um, I don't want that in there. <laughs> yeah, how's running Kickstarter? Um, I think there's three of us. And we all have quite different styles, skill sets and personalities. Oh, no. but, um, right, that's I've lost. I've missed out on my turn there. Never mind. Oh well. I think I got and one got token two. from there. Oh, yeah, three. Yeah, that's three. Yeah. Okay, so that one goes to the discard. Does, it, does that one go to the discard as well? If I can't roll for it, that is a good question. Oh uh, yeah, you supposed, you're supposed to put them in after. Oh yeah, so you can't fill up the space until you've done your drawing. I was just to Oh uh, okay. Yeah, but uh, that's fine. You might that's as well good. just discard what, it then. One or two draw this turn. It was just the ringtail koati. Oh, yeah, so we'll that's a shame. I really like those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay, so you get three tokens from the bank. Yeah. For not getting any animals this turn. Oh, so cool! You that was very generous. Come back <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, so running a Kickstarter was. Yeah. So basically, yeah, I think we're all in the deep end, but it was not a bad experience because although we're kind of stretching ourselves, I think we all have enough different skills and personalities to like take different aspects of it and whether that's I think the, yeah uh, so I ran a Kickstarter last year as well yeah. and I just found it really stressful it's like a, it's a two week yeah there's a constant two -week Kickstarter adrenaline and, and pushing it pushing and it pushing it on Twitter all the time yeah, and to work out I your, just find it really oh uh, yeah no it's like two weeks and then afterwards it was supposed to be oh now you go on and do it 
but I had constant setbacks with like my editors not being able to do stuff yeah. or layout designers not getting stuff in time and then it's like oh so now I'm I don't know six months late on that project and it's like yeah it's uh, kind of sad <laughs> <laughs> oh, that doesn't sound good um, yeah I think we had good luck and yeah we I think this is a very you know it's a very charismatic game it speaks, yeah, it speaks it really to me because it's so pretty people. you know um, when we went to Expo uh, we got so many people like I think it was a smaller year because of COVID and uh, it was good, quite good for independent designers that year and a lot of interest so yeah. Thought, yeah we must launch now we were like we're not ready but then we were like oh so many people are interested we'll, we'll go with the flow um, and yeah we had, we had a really it was quite a good time of it and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so lots, lots of little stresses and you know it is um, yeah but, absolutely uh, and like production this year hasn't been that easy either has it so yeah I, it's been a lot of things to worry about with the shipping and stuff and have you had this manufactured in China or no so we went UK because we oh, that's much easier yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's I mean, really uh, risky because yeah. loads of people have their stuff stuck on the uh Evergreen or whatever it was called. That's right. Yeah. Yes, and that, was, fine that, time, that yeah. was so so. I know. <laughs> it was really bad timing. Yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people, that. So. Um, okay, so it's my turn yeah, now. Your turn. Yeah, we actually got it out. We launched in October. We got it out for Christmas oh, to the UK um, backers. So um, it was a. Uh, I think well, we passed that around for the Kickstarter. Oh no, I can't play that yet. Can I, I have to do yeah. that later? Right. We did think we may be a bit mad to right, right, deliver right. in three months, but we managed to pull it off. This is a tough board now. <laughs> yeah, it's gone suddenly tough. I, we both lost the turns. Um, I might, I might try out for the shoreline. I need to probably use some of my reserves as well. Uh, what about the rainforest? Pretty tough around the rainforest. I really like the card size on these. It's really sort of yeah. nice tactile. Cards yeah. feel really nice. Yeah. The tokens are really cute. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably need a lot of the rainforest. I've got tokens there for the B-roll. Uh, it's a bit more than frog. I'm going to be a very safe turn, I think. But yeah, it's although it's never safe from the rainforest, so I can easily get four fails now. Uh, Martin uh, over there just um, he cuts the Excel spreadsheet for us because he's a mathematician. Uh, <laughs> so you can even yeah, that's, that's how I design as well. You yeah. know, you get yourself a spreadsheet, you yeah. work out what your probabilities are. Maybe has been tough. So I've only got four dice there, one success. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, but that's not improbable. Uh, no, not at all. Yeah, rolling higher than a five on that is, is yeah. tough. Nice. Oh, so you got your nice strawberry poison yeah, dart frog. Yeah, really cool. Okay. Excellent. So you're two. Right. Okay. Okay. So. Uh, yeah, I think where we reduce the rate is going to be a big question because the international shipping and stuff still doesn't look like it's calming down any. And, it's so yeah, expensive as well. Like expensive. shipping to America at the moment is yeah. Is There's a lot of um, pain. comments. We got yeah a lot of people interested in America, but I mean people did notice helps, the high shipping costs, but it's it helps to find a partner overseas. Yeah, so that would be the best thing do for it, us to do. I think. It's difficult if you're yeah. just branching out. It's a small game as well, so people look at it and think there's a big yeah. percentage of the cost. Is and as well, like yeah. you have to pay VAT on imports and stuff exactly. like that, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's tough. Whereas what we sell is books, yeah. and books 
you know, are basically VAT free everywhere. Yeah. So that's I know much people are, easier to ship. With things coming in when they're packing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Leases in America, they don't that have really sucks at the moment. Like yeah. shipping board games from Europe to Britain is. Yeah. That's a pain, but. Um, I've not got loads of dice left, so I'm. Gonna, <laughs> oh yeah, that's. I'm gonna oh, struggle a bit. I've got loads of tokens. Um, I'm slightly concerned that I might fail my rain. Actually, so maybe a. Let's have a look. So have you got anything else in the pipeline that you're planning yeah. new games and stuff? Uh, I've got a game called Cloud Foxes. Uh, okay. Uh, it's, um, I'll check it out. A bit of a dice game again. Um, it's a bit more tactical, I guess. It's uh -huh. like, um, it's got a board this time, rather this is just like the playmats and the, uh, yeah. the cards. Uh, so you're sort of pirates who ride flying foxes. Uh, it's a bit of a okay, that's tactical cool. yeah. uh, departure from uh, Tap Shop, but still animal related, I guess. Um, <laughs> these are public treasure and you use the dice to kind of determine how you move on the board so it has a kind of yeah. uh, follow through theme um, and like, I don't know very much about board game design but do you sort of design your board games and card games to match what you enjoy playing or uh, are you just find it interesting I mean I guess it would be hard to design something that you yeah, wouldn't enjoy yeah it would be really tough to I know like <laughs> I mean to, some people do it design a lot of games and I guess if you have a cool idea you make it regardless of whether it's one you would play but I think for us uh, starting out uh, very much. If we haven't got a complete pattern for it, then it's not going to get done. There's yeah, yeah, it's difficult. Ideas yeah, that's right. And yeah, so definitely. But um, I mean, this is very. We definitely want to do so that it was sort of accessible and light. For, it's not light, light, but it's uh, easy to oh, get into, it, isn't it? It's yeah. a really nice game because yeah. it's nice to look at the pictures. Yeah. Um, like as a role player, I've you know. Yeah. This is really nice because you can imagine yourself being a wildlife photographer right, and trying yeah. to do this, you know, yeah. I think that's really cute. But uh, Yeah, I think we definitely all like to have something with a bit of theme and yeah, although yeah. it's quite simple, it's still lots of it sort of reinforces. Uh, my my six-year-old's like yeah, so yeah. interested at the moment in, you know, David Attenborough programs and, uh, you yeah. know, looking, yeah. at, looking at this sort of stuff and... I'm going. I'm going a bit mad here, but uh, okay, it's still work. What's a good tactic with this game? You know, what, what do you think? Um, I mean, Marcus's partner Joe is fantastic in it, so I, I don't know what her secret is. Um, <laughs> uh, I always think like focus on one category, like whether you want to do really well on your assignment or uh, yeah, because it's but, hard to do everything. Yeah, isn't but it? I mean, Joe's very good at just doing everything somehow. Maybe it's just luck. Um, Persistent luck. <laughs> Persistent luck, yeah. <laughs> um, so to win this one, you'd have to play a lot of tokens. Yeah, I think. so I think there's definitely efficiency, obviously, like we've done here, where you only explore one habitat, so, and with multiple cards in. But you don't always get those opportunities. You have to sort of look out a bit opportunistic because. Oh, I, I sort of twig that you can explore multiple habitats. Oh, sorry. But there's a lot. Yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah, but often it's efficient to do it. I think one. it is, and then you've got more yeah. likely to win the. But sometimes you're like, well. To win this, the prizes for that as well. Savannah is worth. Uh, something for my uh, symbols, and this one's on my cover photo, so it is good to split them up as well. Uh, yeah, I think we've played pretty conservatively this game, but. Um... <laughs> well, distracted by talking to me, you'll just put it on that. That's <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of tokens on. I think, yeah. yeah. Some tokens on that. I'll draw as well. Red Panda, the iconic Red Panda. He's uh, on all our banners. A tricky one to get. Yeah. Oh, you got a lot of tokens. So you may as well spend. I don't only have three tokens. Yeah. So. Why don't you actually 
could you even stretch the red panda? Oh, I might be able to, yeah. I so mean, it's very risky. It's a bit of a risk, but it's like, last I'm not in a good position anyway, so. Yeah, you might just get really lucky. Okay, that's uh, that was fine. good that you actually saw the hamster. Uh, try the macaque. Nice. Oh, I don't have any mountains. Oh, this was a blunder. Uh, we should have just gone for Savannah, never mind. Oh, well. um, but we get all of them. No. So that's not for one for the pheasant. Yeah. And the red panda. Oh, I got the panda! Nice. No, oh, I'm really pleased about that. That's a very good one, yeah. <laughs> I think I have all four habitats. Yeah, so they get a bonus get for that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, so. All right. Quickly score up with you want. So first of all, count all the victory points on your photographs. Okay. So all the victory points, that's 7, 9, 10, 15, 19, sorry, this is annoying, 22, 23, and then 28 with that. You've got, oh yeah, so you've got 23 in your animals, and you've got 5. And they've got 5 bonus. Yeah. And I got... Oh, these little notebooks are cute. Yeah. yeah I really like those. We didn't initially have them in, but then we thought they were a nice touch. <laughs> um, uh, 24 for awards to me. And then, uh, so if you look at... If you look at the assignment. Yeah, so did you get either of those animals? Did I get, get a puma or... Yeah. Puma or I got the puma, so you didn't get it. No. <laughs> uh, I didn't get the Nile crocodile because you tried to get that and failed. So. Yeah, I didn't get mine either, so we're level right, pegging on never that. mind. So then I have to count... All symbols, yeah, that match. So it doesn't have to match both symbols? No, so, uh, so okay. it matches both, that's two, have two. Got you. Yeah. Okay, two, three... Okay, I, I'm pretty sure I got one, two, yeah. three. Oh no, not three. Sorry. Oh yeah, three. Yeah. Four. Herbivores and five. Twenty-one years. It's yeah. Omnivores. Yeah. yeah. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine. So that's thirty-three oh, points. Amazing. So you've. It's gonna be really close. Uh, so I got fifty-nine. Uh, but I only got nine for the uh, awards. So. 50, oh, that's six, really... Uh, oh, 60, I just, just scraped a win. Yeah, oh. that's it. Uh, that is... Uh, <laughs> considering I was... Uh, yeah, that, that's... I wasn't that. really targeting winning, you know. No, but... Seems uh, to have managed it again. Yeah, that's really that's fun. Great. I really like that. Great. And I, you know, I think a lot of people would enjoy that game, so... Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Thank you very much for showing me that game, and uh, you know I hope you have a good rest of the day. I might swing by and pick up this game later because uh, I think my kids would really enjoy it, and it just have really nice art. So. Thank you very much. I sat down with Chris Lowry of Beyond Cataclysm Books to play board game Factory Funner, nominally to talk about Tyrannosaur Inside, a T-Rex crawl of an adventure which was kickstarting and itch funding at the time. Here's our chat. This is all just B-roll audio, isn't it? Okay. Uh, it's fine, I enjoy it. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? uh, I completely forgot that we were recording, even though I have a microphone in my ear that just reminded me of that. Um, so you can just hear me annoyingly, weirdly loud on the wrong side. <laughs> I have much more enjoyed this experience of doing a crowdfunder than my last one. I've just made a decision to not care right at the beginning, and it's been oh, so much better. Yeah, uh, absolutely. No, not that one. Five. Oh, probably uh, this was a bad well choice. Well, but, like, well yeah, that, that is good. Running on two platforms at once is kind of cool. Well, we, it should, was, we should actually talk about this. Yeah, it was... Well, I can't really take any credit for it, because it was the wonderful Matt Saunders who gave me the advice. 
Although, I think they were kind of encouraging me to take a gamble. Um, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been interesting. Itch has not. I'm really, Itch has now got about sixteen pounds on it, which for a while I was at. 150% funded on Kickstarter and 0% on itch. Um, well, you know, that's the way the platform, um, that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, okay. I got three points plus one, so I got four points that round. Are you blue? I'm blue. Yeah. So one, I am Flip two, International. Okay, that's cool. Um, the new, the new person's doing well. Yeah. I have no ability to strategize at all. Look at this though. Look how nicely laid out it is. Do you know, I used to work, I'm, I'm a hydraulic engineer by training. Well, so. no, oh, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Where's, Theoretically the, where's speaking, the minus used, 20 for I hydraulic? Used on a, I used to work on <laughs> pipe networks that look a lot like, look, yes. look more like that. So, I, you know. I've never had one that looks anything like this. Yeah. Like, at all. Like, none of the pipes cross. Not yet. It's just, but. Look at mine, it's all in one corner of the well, factory. Why have you done that? <laughs> but you're a That's hydraulic true. engine. That is, it that is, is funny It's though. definitely cheating, yeah. It is funny though that you're a hydraulic engineer. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's annoying. So yeah, I'm, I don't know if you're gonna want to like listen through and like, I'll 10, minutes a bit. Later, yeah. 10 minutes later, <laughs> continue a topic. But I think um, I'm, I'm glad to be doing it. I mean, I have focused more of my promotion on Kickstarter than on Itch. Yeah. I think what I'll do is I'll do a slow burn after the campaign ends, because I think you can just adjust the Itch campaign and make it a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's a good method. Um, uh, I've been saying to people that I really like Itch funding because it makes it a lot less stressful. Like, I ran a Kickstarter last year and absolutely hated the experience. We'll never repeat it. Okay. And then in the autumn, I ran a, a niche funding over a two-week period. Absolutely hated the experience. Promised never to repeat it. But if I did another one, I'd do something like Longtail Games is doing with slow funding and just gradually build, yeah, build think, cash and then uh, I think for when it's I, available to print and print it. But. Well, even like the idea of, you know, the, the classic Kickstarter thing is you register a Kickstarter yeah. and then you get your pre-launch page and yeah. people sign up. Whereas what you can do instead is you can just get your itch page up and say this idea is here yeah you can follow it you yeah. can back it now the idea will you know and so actually in a way you could that could be more effective than your because your sign up page for kickstarter is not an automatic conversion whereas you could get people just jumping in at that uh, at that early stage yeah um, and it has some like some nuanced disadvantages but like kickstarter has some nuanced disadvantages as well so okay i was just i was just like seeing yeah, it, I I have to say visually I much prefer Kickstarter, as in I try to completely copy both, have a, a matching visual page, um, and I'm going to have to go in and do some. I am a web I am a web designer, so yeah, and it does give you HTML control, so I probably can. But I I was impressed with how Kickstarter did uh did take that out of my hands. That said though, the lack of image captioning is ridiculous. Like, as, as in you can you can cap but you can't have alternate um image you can't have text, alt text can you yeah, like uh, which, is, which is just just ridiculous in this day day and age you know i stopped yeah. doing web design properly in 2010 and in 2010 it was like mandatory that you have that stuff yeah so to not have it in a site 
I, and I could code that for. Uh, I could the last time in. I designed a website from scratch was in like 2001, right? Yeah. Uh, and alt text was a thing that you could have then. So, like, why people don't accept that really bugs me. But, uh, but also, like, I could go on. I could, if you gave me Kickstarter's code, I could add just an alt text. It, it would take a design like the developers like three minutes to add it. Yeah, it's just madness that it's not there. But um, but yeah, so I'm. I, I was a little bit disappointed while I was at zero. I mean, that said, though, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new to this, like, in terms of my name and the scene. I think people... I was on one um, self-promo post, and it said, no one with followers over 700, yeah. which is an interesting one for me, because I have 650 med- medical followers from 10 years ago, right. and 11 RPG followers or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so there's... It's an interesting because I've got seven hundred followers, but I talk into the void. But like more, everyone you know has that experience sometimes. But I think more than yeah. many, that is a, a challenge for me. Like uh, yeah, whereas mine is like almost completely the opposite. Like I have one or two colleagues from work who follow me, who I would rather weren't following me. You know, because yeah. um, like I quite often post about how shit my job is and well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, how much how much I'm stealing company time and things like that. Well, what, what's what's really annoying is. I'll I'll see the medical stuff and it comes up, but I, I care. You know, I'm interested. It's not my it's not my heart and my passion, but I uh-huh, but yeah. and I'll make one throwaway comment and then I'll go on my uh, uh, analysis yeah, uh, analytics on Twitter and it'll be my most popular post yeah, in yeah. three months. Uh, yeah. You know, like twenty people replying and retweeting, and I'm like, yeah. but you know, I've done a really lovely you know breakdown of like how I've done the nice illustration and had one like. Yeah, that is it completely like Twitter is the place where hot takes are king you know you don't get any like you, you don't generate buzz around you by being nice to people which is one of the things I hate the most about the platform like I am a horribly snarky person like I am uh, I don't know indie tabletop role playing game most horrible goose you know I just I'm, I'm not nice on Twitter but like yeah. I just try and be funny and I don't think that's really uh, the way to be yeah, <laughs> I, I think but it, it gets me a lot of followers and it gets me a lot of interactions and it's just it's very shallow and I don't like it so I I definitely am a somebody who tries to be a nice guy and I and I or a nice person or whatever and I I, I enjoy I a lot of people, people are constantly saying oh this is such a toxic horrible place and I have found Twitter to be I, a yeah, I don't necessarily have that experience, yeah. but I think that's probably because I'm one of the people who make it toxic. <laughs> you're, it's like if you're, there's one person on the bus. If you're always going on the bus and there's a crazy person there, fine. If there's never a crazy person on the bus, that's because you're, the crazy, you're the crazy person. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That was me this morning, like trying to record my I'm going to aircon on the bus thing, and everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? Why yeah. are you recording? <laughs> yeah. Also, can you put some trousers on, please? Yeah, like, uh, well, I mean, there's that as well. But, you know. And yeah, like if you don't have a lot of social capital in the scene, as it were, if you don't have a big hand in the scene, then it's quite hard to it's quite hard to make money through itch. It's quite hard to make money through yeah. uh, through non traditional platforms. Whereas Kickstarter is like it's venture capitalism on steroids. Yeah, and like that really really helps if you don't have a massive following to begin with. So I, I think I, that is like that's a, got a lot to do with how those two experiences pan out. My yeah, my my experience this time especially has been. I mean, I don't trust the Kickstarter stats completely because like my flyers 
I think a lot of people, rather than visiting the link, will have just typed in Tyrannosaur on yeah. Kickstarter. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. And so that's not them coming through Kickstarter doesn't necessarily actually mean that Kickstarter got me the followers. But this time it's about sixty percent um, coming through our, um, our rather than from links I've generated are directly through the uh, yeah. through the platform. But um, yeah, it's well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Tyrannosaur inside? Sure. So we're here to talk about these. Things. We are indeed. Um, oh, this one will need editing because I've forgotten their name now. Gila RPGs. Um, I'm trying to remember who that actually is. Uh, that Spencer. Is, uh, Spencer Campbell. Yeah. I made a throwaway treat about tweet about three months ago about the idea of a T-Rex crawl, like a, as a hex crawl, as a pun. Um, and then I went and did a, a terrible illustration, and then I enjoyed doing the illustration. And the entire thing sort of came from that, really. Um, I've got to say, I mean, um, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a thing that can work as a one shot, or you could totally drop it into a campaign where a big T Rex lands in the middle of a village. Um, and I've, I've done it. I was quite inspired by uh, Chris Bissett's work um, on uh, the the thing they did at Christmas, the Advent calendar. Um, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Reeve, Reeve Dean. Um, the uh, and, and with that, what I enjoyed is how they um, they did stat blocks for like five. It was system agnostic with stat blocks for Mortborg, Troika, D and D, a few other things. And I just thought, actually, most of what I'm writing here is completely it's applicable in any yeah, scene. Yeah. And and I think I think if you're a Troika DM, you can pick up a Mortborg and just run and, and just run with it. I think. People in the indie scene are quite comfortable converting between stuff, but I think in D and D maybe a little bit less so. So I thought I think definitely for like um, people who are heavy into the OSR scene, like Mertborg and Troika and all of those games, definitely fairly cross compatible. Yeah, but you're right. There is a whole other scene which is like D and D fifth edition or Pathfinder people who won't be able to take that so much so quickly and run with it you know it's a, it's a different kind of dynamic there um, and, and I mean you know purely from a it's annoying to have to think commercially a little bit but there's a big chunk of cash in the 5e market isn't there well, and, yeah. um, <laughs> and I and even I saw a really lovely thing on Twitter actually where someone was talking about how people would say oh is your game like 5e to them you know, it's like your game like Dungeons and Dragons and for years they were saying no because of that just knee jerk thing of no, because that's really annoying because they're yeah. the rubbish monopoly. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Who was that again? Um, Avery Alder? Yeah, I, th I think yeah, so. It was and Avery. Then, and then instead they said, so I started saying yes, and then explained why, why it was different. like it, yeah. and, but different as well. Yeah. And just said they had such... And my, my experience with the few friends I have who are into RP is they think it is all about critical role. They think critical role is the best thing they've ever seen. And they think... I'm a weird, grumpy stodge for not liking Critical Role and thinking it's it's not just yeah. fine, but bad. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, confession time, I've never actually watched Critical Role, but that's because I am very, very heavily de-invested in that scene. You know, I I actively got rid of all of my Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder stuff. Uh, I finally managed to get rid of the rest of it today. Just took it to the Bring and Buy sale. And, nice. Um, so we so points. Where are we on? Yeah, I, I was just also just letting you guys chat for a minute. Yeah. Oh no, it was no, good. That's fine. Like so I got I minus one, it. and I did that. Did you do your one? 
yes, I did mine. So we're yeah. just doing the add-ons at the end. One, two, three. Uh, I got zero points in mine, which was in- in- incredible, actually. I was impressed with that. Um, very good. Well, I enjoyed that. So that's Factory Runner. Factory Funner. Factory Funner. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who that's by. It's and not that it makes any difference to the people listening to the yeah. podcast. It's by BoardGameTables.com. Board I'm pretty sure they also sell board game tables, would be my guess. You might have thought, maybe they have a factory, <laughs> that but they would like to make funner, you know? <laughs> um, it's a, It's got a great solo mode as well. It's, it's solo actually, mode look good on this. It's a really great, content, content. we keep trying to play other games. Like thinking, oh, let's play Race for the Galaxy or something quite complex, engine buildy thing. And we keep going, well, should we just have a game of this while we're settling down and then discover and just ourselves yeah, just. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, no, I think it's, it's really interesting. But, and even then, when I, I was. I don't t- think that being a hydraulic engineer necessarily gives you an advantage in it, in the way that like being an artist doesn't necessarily give you an advantage in Pictionary. But. Yeah. I, I think I've had beginner's luck in all the games I've played today, so. Uh, so these need to go in separate bags, or is yeah. So they all go in there. The only things that you keep are yeah, your your three of those and yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so Tyrannosaur inside. Yes, has, back to that. Yeah. Has, um, now we finish scoring the game. Yeah, the important stuff's over now. Um, the uh, I've, I'm at about 250 percent or something. On, so I think we've reached about I don't know five 450 quid or something like that. And I'm I'm really happy. You know, there's lots of there's been a lot of people just saying this is a fun silly idea. Of going inside a T-Rex and fighting lots of things that also are T-Rexes. Live inside the T-Rex, yeah, um, yeah. And are there, are there other T-Rexes inside those T-Rexes? How far does this infinite recursion go? I mean, I you think will only find out if you get swallowed by one of these mini T-Rexes. I think it's fair to say that definitely. I mean, at the moment, I written in it, there aren't. But I'm sure that when that when that comes up naturally in play, it will 100% come up in play. Will play. I quite like the, the idea T-Rex of someone fractal. even playing some kind of spell that makes them smaller and then going in the toenail of another T-Rex and just repeating the adventure. Um, a distressing prospect. Yes. I, I did a live play test here at Aircon, um, which was great. It was, what was really very funny about it was, so it's in Morkborg, which is, is not child friendly. Yes, um, no, 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 absolutely not. Please don't play Morkborg with your children. So I, I de- so I just used the mechanics of Morkborg really, and then, took everything else out of the setting. And I had a 15-year-old come and his dad, who, who were a little bit scared looking at the front cover of Mortal, but we did a, we, we did the safety session, okay, including the X card, where we just said, do do this if you, you know, I'm making an X symbol with my hands. Yeah. And then we had my nine-year-old daughter. The reason we were making it child safe became incredibly non-child safe. So she uh, she kept- It's always the one she least She immediately expect. was like, yes, like we met a friendly NPC, stab them in the back, stab them in the back, or did someone say slice the intestines open? I mean, uh, that that is, uh, and, and she she and let, like at least playing to type because that's that's Morkborg all over, really. Uh, well, I mean, she she was totally on theme, and she then and then she she tried not understanding the kind of the idea of safety mechanics. Really, she decided the best way to use the X symbol with her hands was to use that as a public symbol to the table that we should murder everyone. So, <laughs> I was like, and she couldn't no, understand the kind of matter her doing the X to say, let's murder more people. I was like, but there will be people at the table potentially making the X to say, this little girl is making me uncomfortable and I want it to stop. <laughs> Gosh. 
Well, um, I mean, that is not quite the con game experience that I think most people would expect. But in the end, it, I, I think everyone understood. Uh, everyone was comfortable. Everyone was safe. We had a fun time. The uh, the people who never played role play together had a really fun time. And uh, it, it ended with um, someone someone losing their voice from shouting so much in like the, the characters and uh, ending up having to bargain with a the T-Rex boss by using real life charades at the end. Um, so yeah, it was it was cool. It was nice. That's nice. Yeah. Well, I'm very pleased. It sounds really fun. Um, so it's on Kickstarter now until the end of the month. Yeah, and on and on itch as well. And on itch as well. Yeah, we'll get those links in the show description, whatever it is that we call it. And I, I'm I'm at CM Lowry author. Yes, yes. We didn't even do your introduction at the start, which we wouldn't normally do. Should we do it? At we the should end? do it in the end. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Okay. So um. <laughs> this afternoon we're talking to Chris. <laughs> Would you like to take a minute and introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? You are the first indie tabletop role-playing game person I've actually spoken to today. Brilliant. Um, and it's good to you know start chatting to you and not have done the whole interview and then do the introduduction at the end. Yeah, well. so like that, nice. that would be the actions of a truly mad person. Yeah. Um, I am here at Aircon with my good friend Josh and my lovely nine-year-old daughter who is yeah absent. She's well. She's she's within my eyesight. Oh, I can't see. Yeah, yeah she's she's there. Behind she's the box. Um, and it's actually been, it's especially the Friday for those who suffer with anxiety or anything like that. I'd really recommend Aircon compared to something like the UK Games Expo. Oh uh, yeah. It's just friendly. It's a lot more low key. Um, and there's a the the flag thing. There's a, you put a flag on tables if you want someone to, to if you want someone to come and join a game with you. You can just put a little flag, and strangers will just come and say, oh, can, can I join in? And for those who are horrible, intrusive people like I am, it's uh, we spent all of yesterday evening with Gillian, didn't we? Um, playing different games, and we went to Nando's with her, um, and uh, just yeah, that that relationship would not have happened without without some of the mechanics they have in place yeah. to make people yeah. have fun. It's really friendly. It's it's really nice. There's lots of kids here as well. I really yeah, that's that's really good. Um, like a nice family friendly space with. Kids around, families around. So I've seen people with push chairs, and you know, everyone seems very friendly and you know kind to each other. So which is uh, which is good because uh, <laughs> and uh, pronouns on the um, on the sign-in pronouns well. on the on the press passes, and uh, which I which is good. It helps be nice and inclusive for everybody. So yeah, it's um, been a good experience so far. So, so, so I am I am. We haven't still done an introduction. We've talked about. We're still we're still not finishing with that. Yeah, um, sorry. I, I I will play with you in a second, love. Um, so I am Chris Lowry, uh, known as C M Lowry Author on Twitter and everywhere else. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess all that remains good, for me to say is thank you very much for coming on. Yes, indeed, Pod. <laughs> and you. good, fantastically good luck with your Kickstarter. Yeah, and, uh, good luck editing. Ninety percent. Well. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of weird audio to edit. Don't worry. Yeah. In the afternoon I had a delightfully high-energy chat with game designer and streamer extraordinaire Bez, whose games are energetic, kind, friendly, fun, and eclectic. Bez's enthusiasm and warmth come through so strongly in this wonderful interview. It's gone. Okay, alright, let's give... Well, I'll be able to find that on the, uh, on the recording. Sorry, no, that's cool. It's good. It's always useful to have a plan. So, hi, Bez. And welcome to the podcast. That's, that Thank was a, you for that was a having cold me, Morris. 
This afternoon we're talking to bears. Hi there, bears, and welcome to Yes Indeed Pod. Would you like to take a minute to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games slash analog games of any kind? So I am Bez, and I just love games. My first memory is of a Zvedek Spectrum loading screen, and I fell in love with computer games and drawing maps of how scrolling platformers could work. And then I have strong memories of, of course, playing Monopoly and Risk, but then recently I fell in love with more modern games. Lost Cities by Reiner Knizia. Those kinds of things that you would only find on Board Game Geek. Ticket to Ride, Settlers of Catan, Say Anything. Some of the party games that had modern sensibilities, modern design aesthetics. And I think that I'm actually happier where I've ended up making board games, moving the little bits away from the screen. Because whilst I think that video games are brilliant, I kind of pine for the days of Saturn Bomberman, where there's 10 of you all around one TV screen. You don't really get that anymore. If it's multiplayer, it's always online multiplayer with someone potentially in another country. And I'm not against that, obviously, especially in the days of COVID. I'm all for people finding some ways to connect. But when you're in the same room, around the same table, and, I mean, obviously I'm not going to do this, but I could literally reach out and poke marks in the eye. I mean, it Please would... don't do that, no, but... Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm just saying that I could. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, I I, there, I, it'd yeah. be a jerk move, but... Uh, it kind of feels like a different chemistry, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, this is the first time I've been in person with people and interviewing them, and it's like... It's amazing! Like, I started my podcast at the start of 2020. 2020. It was like the worst yeah. time imaginable to start a podcast, because, uh, like, you can't go and interview anybody, you know? So yeah. It's the first time I've been out in the real world, interacting with real people, and it's a lot of fun. I, I think there's a lot of, um, well, from what I've seen in your games, it's like really tactile, Absolutely. Really fast, there's a lot of speed and dexterity. I mean, interestingly, one of my games, a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises was inspired by the pandemic and one person tries to make noises everyone else tries to guess which creature it is and that's something you can actually play when you're streaming because the people on video can make the noises everyone else has to work out which creature is this and getting back to who i am 2014 i ran my kickstarter (laughs) in a bind it's now become yogi yogi is a game published by Jigamic originally self-published, but it's allowed me to do other stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I get royalty checks twice a year. I'm not rich. I struggle to pay the rent, is the truth. But I don't have to be working in a supermarket like I did in 2014. I'm able to say, you know what? I'm able to now make my own stuff and not worry too much and just make sure that it pays for itself. And I've been doing these weird experiments like last year, I decided to publish 50 copies, just for 5-0, of a game about new whimsical creatures and try to identify them after some experiences. Now, in the RPG, people are very familiar with this, like just a few copies and that's all you get. Yeah. But like with board games, when you've got cards, when you've got more components, you need to do bigger print runs, a thousand, it's so stressful. You're not wrong. Yeah. And so, I'm moving away from that. My latest things. A game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different and counting your beetroots. And then a game about drawing creatures, complementing the drawings, then complementing the compliments. Like, one of those two is a speed game. It's got a twist that if you match anything, you lose. 
you've got the vegetable mechanism, which is kind of interesting. But it still feels like a game that could have been on Board Game Week, whereas the other one, it's delving into the questions of what is a game. And in that, the only competition is actually with yourself. Do not deflect, do not reject, and if you actually want to be super competitive about it, get the most compliments for your compliments, the only way to do that is to give the nicest compliments you can. So that becomes like the friendliest competition ever. And most times, once you play it, once, even on your first game, you might end up with everyone technically winning. It doesn't matter, but it is a structured means of not... I guess the creativity isn't even the main part of it. Yeah. But yeah, I am far more about the board games and games as a whole rather than indie RPGs. But that's fine. Maybe yeah. I should. Um, yeah, talking to everyone today. So thank you very much for expanding your doors and opening your doors yeah. and welcoming the riffraff like myself. <laughs> I don't know if I refer to board game people as riffraff. You know. I mean, it's like oh, there's a lot of them here. It feels a. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the the RPG people are the gen side. <laughs> I mean, like, more, more like ten a penny kind of thing. I think what I like about your games is that they're very... Uh, well, you've got it on this, so you've got the whimsical, you know? They're, um, they have this very nice aesthetic. You obviously... Do you do the drawings yourself? I do. Yeah. So, it's, when I publish my own games, I always enjoy kind of thinking about how people will perceive it. I always think that there's something lovely about saying... I did it all. Like obviously, other people are involved. Someone else manufactured it. I have playtesters. I have people who give me emotional support along the way. And when it comes to selling it, I would not be able to do it without people having supported me financially. Yeah. But yes, there's something that I'm really proud of to be able to say. You know, what? every pen stroke, I'd made that decision. But even there, I'm now moving away from that slightly. I'm having someone coming over a couple of times a week to help me with things. Just the tiny bits of help on computers. I'm not so great is the truth. And so they help me with all the scanning and getting yeah. it all together. And it's a team effort, but it is, still feels very much me because I did all the illustrations and the design. I feel like that's the experience of indie tabletop role playing like mm-hmm. game design as well. Like, you do a lot of the design work yourself, and you farm out some of the other stuff to other people. So it's still a collaborative project, but it feels very much on you. And I don't know yes. if other board game manufacturers or other board game designers have that experience of it being like an, an auteur project, if you like. Like, you know? there are definitely other people who do do illustration and design and all their own developments. Yeah. But I'm not sure... Um, if there's any that are here today, yeah, I, I know Emma May for Immerse Games and Quirk, but obviously, I don't want, I just want to say, yeah, thank you, Marks. Yes, I am brilliant, and other people are brilliant as well, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I've really enjoyed playing your games today. What I really like is uh, holding cards in my hand and like literally pushing other people away to try and get the cards. And that, so. Sorry, I'm just um, getting. The people who are about to play a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after Sonic's noises to move to the next table because even there we will probably hear a little bit of the noises going on. I mean, I don't think that's a problem. So. <laughs> yeah, we, I have no idea how any of this audio is going to come out. So. We'll find There's a out. Lot of background noise, yeah, could all be completely yeah. unusable. We'll find out. <laughs> So there you go, that's the kind of noises that these creatures might take. And that's the thing, like, games are a source of play, but there's many forms of play. You can have play for, okay, I'm going to strategically work out the optimal path 
and what is best. But so many games do that. Like these mathematical models, and I'm not against mathematical models. I love abstract strategy games. Go is genuinely possibly my favourite game. I love it. The simplicity, the arc, when you come in and you're like, just yeah. could go anywhere, and then at the end of kind of just filling in the corners. I love it. But there's also something lovely about when you're just able to do anything with a creativity-based game, with a LARP, with an RPG. Yeah. And I do want to more and more expand. So with these Betty Bargain Bags, that allows me to experiment. And there are going to be a few more that are going to be about speed games, about quick observation and picking things up, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also going to be a game, I'm not sure on what it's going to be called yet, but it's a game about a pivotal conversation in somebody's life between two... There's two people, you abstract away, who are you, what's your relationship, and you choose either an affirmation, an argument, a final farewell, or a first hello. And so the cards kind of give you a couple of questions to answer to gel out your characters, after yeah. that, just get into it. Have your arguments. And you've got this history that you can draw upon. And you can, yeah. you know, it's typical improv. You can say, oh, you're a member when you never clean the dishes. And it's, of course, the improv. Yes, and. So I'm so sorry. But you never do that other thing. And yeah. then you scream. Yeah. And this is really cathartic. As people, we sometimes need that emotional release. Sometimes we need a game where we're just complimenting each other. Sometimes we need a game that an excuse to be together and that's the key thing it's all about the people it is yeah absolutely and that sounds like a really fun game uh, it reminds me of there's a game by Sendali Now who is a reasonably renowned podcaster in indie spheres uh, and Phil Vecchio which is the turning point which is about a pivotal moment in someone's mm-hmm. life when they're making a decision and like what I like about it is it forces you to reflect on your own important decisions in your life and and, yes. how, and how other people may have influenced those or how most may have influenced those. And yeah, that sounds like a really interesting way to play. I mean, any of any RPG, anything where you're embodying the life of someone else, I think you do come away from it thinking, how does this apply to me? Yeah. And I think it's important and healthy to have that both separation, yeah. but also comparison and contrast. I, I think that's absolutely right. And like, LARP deals with this very well. With like Nordic LARP, yes. Nordic LARP, with this concept of bleed in, bleed out and all of that. And it's really interesting to see how that's now being brought into more storytelling games and hopefully eventually that will go out into the more mainstream games out there mm-hmm. you know, the yeah, these sorts of safety tools I think it's really important that even when playing a board game if we are going to have games that deal with themes of emotional weight yeah. because I've got one that's been signed up by Inside the Box I sadly don't have it today but we are trying to get the design finished in the next few months and it's all about subjugation of power, discrimination. Yeah. You are aliens, and if you've got tentacles, of course you deserve more. If you've only got two eyes, who do you think you are? Why do you deserve to even go to school? But maybe if you'll pay me a little bit of money, I might let you off. And obviously, we try to steer away from real-life problems just to make it less in your face, but it's fairly clear what it's talking about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of game it should come with a warning it should say yes you you will probably feel a bit horrible at points if you are am who's got more eyes than everyone else you win by stamping down on everyone else and being absolutely horrible if you are finnamore 
the person who's only got two eyes and two arms and no eye socks, which is not very good. That's like the lowest of the low in this world. So humans are like the, mo the worst creature imaginable. But Finnamore would have to negotiate with other people to try to start a revolution, literally. Yeah, yeah. It's like District 9, the board game. Pretty much. <laughs> I like the sound of that a lot. That sounds really interesting. And this is the kind of thing where I think we need more safety tools from LARP going yes, into them. absolutely, which is where we started to this. <laughs> uh, that's really interesting. Like, I don't know, because like, I don't play a lot of board games. You know, I'm mostly a role player. And it's interesting, like, how safety tools are gradually becoming more and more important. And, like, Monty Cook making things about this, just making it more accessible to a wider audience. But then if it can be moved into board games as well, and, like, even abstract board games sometimes have the potential to emotionally harm people and I think mm. we do have that we do have a responsibility as game designers to make sure that people aren't yeah. massively harmed by what we're writing to think about what are the effects going to be ultimately yeah yeah and I think I mean but, for me the safety tool of say Monopoly is just not playing it in the first place because I find it too sure darn but also as a group of players you do need to be okay with people dropping out with saying you don't need to finish a game. Yeah. I think as gamers, we get to enfranchise and sometimes yes. say, if we've started something, yeah. we have to finish it. But I think it's much healthier to say, let's play a couple of turns and if anyone wants to stop, then yeah. frankly, let's maybe stop that. Absolutely, yeah. Open table policy is like my number one safety tool. Just say, get up, move away, do whatever you want at any time. You know, you don't have to continue playing. I think that's really really important and healthy way to to play a system so yeah absolutely well thank you for chatting thank you so much for coming over mark no problem at all it's been really good to chill talk for everyone listening thank you for listening and if you want to check me out then stuff yeah. by bez so s-t-u-f-f-b-y-b-e-z.com or on twitter or instagram and whatever you're doing whatever you're playing stay funky Thank you very much, Bez. And, Thank uh, you. Good luck with the rest of the convention. You too. I don't know why I'm standing up to walk away because I need to like. My last conversation of the day was with Graham Botley of Arian Games, one of the best-known TTRPG companies in Britain, and a designer for whom I have an enormous amount of respect. Check out our chat for just some of his impressive credentials. So this afternoon we're talking to Graham of Arian Games. Um, hi there, Graham, and welcome to hi. the podcast. Thank you. Would you like to introduce yourself and let us know what you do in indie tabletop role playing games? Absolutely. So I've been running Aryan Games now for uh, nearly 20 years. And when I first started out, it was paper miniatures was uh, what I produced. And I still do, um, although that's slowed down a little bit in recent years. Um, what really turned things around uh, was about uh, 10 or 11 years ago yeah. when I got the rights to distribute uh, or to reprint, I should say, uh, the advanced fighting fantasy role-playing game. Yeah. So probably everyone has heard of the fighting fantasy game books. Yes, absolutely we have. Uh -huh. I've been talking to people on Twitter about it recently, Abs yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I, can't, I speak to people at conventions and I speak to nine and ten-year-olds who are excited at having the fighting fantasy game books. And I speak to people in their 40s and 50s who grew up with them. They're, they're almost ubiquitous. And back in the 1980s they did turn it into a role-playing game and it's it's a good game and it's playable but it it had some inconsistencies that, that <laughs> well you know i don't wanna, I, I don't want to be rude about a classic game but there were certain things that that led to, to horrible loops 
So you had uh, a spell, for example, that healed your stamina. The spells were powered by stamina. So you cast it, you cast lots of spells, then you cast a stamina spell. You're up to full stamina, which means you can cast lots of spells. Cast lots of spells again, yeah. Before casting the stamina spell, and it, it little things like that just didn't work quite right. And it was also quite random in character creation. So you could start with like the game books. You could start with a character with twelve skill, and you can defeat a dragon with twelve skill. Or you had seven skill, where you might well lose to a goblin. Yeah. And if you've and that that's fine in a game book because you're going to replay it and you're only playing against yourself. If you roll a seven and you manage to do it, well, who? If you roll a seven and you haven't got a chance, you know, of doing it, well, you re-roll a new character, you start again. But in a multiplayer role-playing game, that doesn't work. No, because no. the person with twelve does everything. The person with seven watches. So we've standardised things and that's on. And I did that about ten, eleven years ago. And it really took off, and it sold really well. And, and I also like to think it's revitalised the whole fighting fantasy brand too, because when I took that license on, you couldn't really get the game books. There was no digital versions. There was no nothing happening. Uh, now we've got various digital versions of the game books. We've got various um, games on Steam on PCs. Uh, we've got Fighting Fantasy Fest. I believe there's another one being held in September. So that's a convention just for Fighting Fantasy. Wow. And it gets bigger, and it's the fourth one now, and they've been bigger and bigger each year. And they have four, five, six hundred people attending, and Steve and Ian attend, and guests, and um, uh, Ian McCabe turned up a couple of years ago, uh, and, and, you know, talking to him about designing Darth Maul and stuff for Star Wars. That's pretty cool, yeah. It's, it's great. And so Fighting Fantasy has really taken off. And on the back of that, I've then designed more and more and more games. So I have... Um, some some games based on the old D6 system from West End Games uh, a, a sword and sorcery game of, of high magic and a Viking game and then there's my own version of World of Darkness and then there's the Maelstrom uh, yeah. which was a 1984 it was sort of a game book it was a, a role playing game but it looked like a fighting fantasy game but had the same trade dress that's, that's quite cool yeah. and when you opened it up right in the middle was a short game book to teach you the rules oh, that's really cool yeah, yeah. and that was a di- that was a deliberate marketing ploy because it sold <laughs> apparently 88,000 copies wow which for a role playing game that's incredible even in the 80s yeah. is that's mind blowing yeah, yeah. Uh, but Puffin never did a thing with it that's they sold shame. these 88,000 copies and the, the author at the time was a 13 year old schoolboy. yeah yeah um, but it did nothing so I I got, got the rights to reprint that some years ago I reprinted it and I've, I've developed it on and I've ported it to different settings. So Normandy, Anglo-Norman England, uh, uh, ancient Rome, mid-Victorian period, and so on. So I publish a lot of games now, but they're all yeah. very retro and old old school. Do you subscribe to like the, the OSR movement at all, or is that not something that you not normally exactly. associate exactly. It's more, it's more that if it's a good game, it's a good game, yeah. whether it was first published in 1984 or 2022. Yeah. It's really interesting that you mentioned the West End Games D6, because that, that's probably, I would say that is my favorite of uh, the 90s? Yeah. 90s role-playing games, the big ones anyway. Uh, I, I absolutely love the D6 Star Wars, but I like what it became with like Open D6 and things yeah. like that as well. That and I think that was a, that was. I, I know that there are all sorts of company issues, you know, companies going bust yeah. and so on and so forth. But the, the, those those open rule sets 
I think really changed things and of course the rise of digital publishing also really changed things yeah because before then to publish a game book you had to have a big market which in pre-social media was difficult to get and virtually impossible virtually yeah, yeah I, I think that's probably a fair thing and you had to order your 500 books yeah nowadays you can release just a pdf yeah. or you can do print on demand which is an amazing which is innovation really, yeah um and, and with the release of these open systems, so my version of um, Vampire and Werewolf and so on, is, is based on the face strip system, which is Marvel Superheroes. Because after all, what's a vampire but a low-powered superhero? Yeah. So, it, you know, and, and that was also an open system. It worked. But now I think what you're seeing is lots and lots of companies going to the either the licensing model which is where they say right come to us and you can license a game so i've written one based on savage worlds yeah so they get a royalty from each sale which is 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 good uh but they help promote the game they get a wider range of settings for their core rule book they sell more rule books because if people want to play my game they buy the rule book but i Mm. get a pre-made pre-tested system to use yeah Yeah. and there are other things like the um uh, on drive through rpg there are various rule systems now that you're allowed to re- release your own games for yeah. if you follow certain rules. And this is brilliant because I do hear complaints sometimes. People say, there's too many games out there. There's too much choice. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't think that's a... I, I think it's... I think, well, in a way, there is too much, but I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Because what it enables, I think, companies to do is to put out specific games. Yeah. So I've got two types of games. Advanced Fighting Fantasy is... A, a fancy adventure game. You're a knight, you're a warrior, you're a wizard, a thief, a cleric. You go adventuring, you fight goblins and orcs and dragons and trolls, you find treasure, magic items. <coughs> all very classic, all very... But there's probably a hundred games that do that as well. Yeah, that's a lot, yeah. But my Maelstrom Doomsday, you are an investigator for a Norman noble in Yorkshire in 1086. That's extremely specific. That's extremely and specific. And I, I, you know, I can't think of... I can think of things that touch some of those points, but definitely not all of them. Not all of like, them. And, yeah. it, it, and, and th- that's from a selling point of view, from a, a, a publisher point of view. It's interesting because if someone is not interested in that time period, they're not a customer. If someone's not interested in investigation, they're not a customer. On the other hand, if someone is interested in historical and investigation games it suddenly becomes the perfect game for them. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's what I mean about the, the, the fact that we've got these open systems allows publishers to move into niches to pr- produce a perfect game for a perfect niche. And so something I'm working on, hopefully for later on this year, uses the uh, Sword Chronicle system, which, is, which was the Song of Ice and Fire game okay, from Green yeah, Ronin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They now basically allow you to publish for it. So it's going to be ancient Egypt, but a fantasy ancient Egypt. That sounds really good. So, yeah. and because you've got the house system, you're going to be the nomarch. So you're the governor of a district of ancient Egypt, or okay. you're part of the family of the governor. So you've got your your palace and your your troops, and you've got to keep the law, and you need to go on adventures to it, and so on. Yeah. Very specific, but I can do that, and I can do it with a specific system that works perfectly for it. Yeah. Rather than having to kit bash something together. Which is really good, yeah. It, it is, and, and it it's... also means anyone familiar with the Sword Chronicle system goes, oh, a new setting. Yes. But anyone interested yeah, in ancient yeah, yeah, Egypt yeah. goes, oh, that looks an interesting system. What and else I'll try that out, yeah. And everyone wins. Yeah, yeah. I sort of talked about it on yesterday before, and it's kind of like this idea of rapid prototyping games as yeah. well. Like, 
in the way that 3D printing has revolutionized, I don't know, uh, mechanical innovation, in a way that like print on demand and yeah. open systems has really changed how role-playing games feel. It and I guess has. for somebody who's been in the scene for a long time, it must be yeah, it must be really different, you know, compared to say 2002, 2001 when you started. To yeah, it, it is. And it's, it's amazing how things have changed over that time. Yeah. And I mean, I've been gaming for almost 40 years now. Even when I was young, I, I designed my own games. Mm. Now, I'll, the thing is, I, I designed them knowing that there was never anything going to happen with them. And I even wrote an advanced fighting fantasy second edition, sort of, when I was about 17 or 18. Yeah. And I still got a copy of it, a bound copy of it somewhere that I bound myself. <laughs> but it was never, ever going to get published because there was no channel for that yeah. to happen. Yes. Whereas one of the advanced fighting fantasy books was written by my son, who's now 11. Now, I did the editing and we got the artist to do the art and I did the layout and, and so on and so forth. But he did the writing and he did the writing knowing that it would be published and it would be for sale. And even now, he says to me, so gamers around the world are using my book in their games. I said, yeah, yeah, you've got, you've got gamers in Australia using your book. And that's fantastic, isn't it? And that for him, I think is a real driver because if at the age of 10 or 11, you can be publishing a game that people are using and are saying this is great. That provides a huge mental boost Yeah. because he's now planning the next one. And by the time he gets to university, he might have written three or four, which means that he, you know, he wants to be a marine biologist. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I hope he does, and that's great. But it means that if he wants to publish games as well, his unique skills, talents, experience, imagination yeah. will allow him to create games that other people enjoy. And after all, that's what we're doing it for. Yeah. And I spoke to someone just before you came along and they came by and they said, you know, I, I wanted to drop by and thank you. I said, what for? He said, because over the pandemic, he said, I bought a couple of your advanced fighting fantasy books for my children. Yeah. He said, and they're absolutely loving it and they're running their own it's games. Fantastic. And, and they can't wait for the weekends so they can play their own games. <laughs> and that is, is what makes all of this worthwhile because I know that people are enjoying my games. They're, they are getting fun out of what I do. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, all right, you can make money from, from these. That's, that's one thing, it's, it is a business. But on the other hand, if people really, really enjoy your games, I think you've won. Yeah, I've, I've absolutely. won. Absolutely, that's how you win role-playing games. Yeah, it is, <laughs> because people enjoy what I, yeah. what I do. And, yeah. and you know, there, there are people who are gonna, in years to come, say, oh, do you remember that Advanced Fighting Fantasy campaign we played where this happened and you got defeated by the magician? But then, yeah. and, and if you can create good memories, especially with the world as it is, yes. we've got disease, we've got war. We've got two we've of the four horsemen, yeah. You know, economic issues. The world is not a nice place at the moment. And I think anything anyone does to bring just a little bit of light into that world is a good thing. Yeah. I absolutely agree with you. I think it's wonderful that you know uh, that your kids are making their own games as well. Yeah. That's really fun. You know, I, I play role playing games with my kids as well, and they really enjoyed that. We play Fate on yeah. Saturdays and Sundays. I think that's a really accessible way for them to play. I just think it's great that they want to move into design. I was talking quite recently to Vincent Baker of yeah. Apocalypse World fame, and Vincent and Meg's kids make loads of games and publish them all the time. And yeah interact with people on Twitter about them. <laughs> That's really a, wonderful. And if it's a good game, and even if it's not a good game, and you get feedback, you know, someone saying, oh, you know, you can never succeed at the skills. Well, that's a learning curve. Yeah. And 
you know, and it is said. So when I started on on Drive Through RPG, what was then RPG now? I think I'm number six hundred on there. So I joined not right at the very start, but pretty close. So, but pretty yeah. close. Yeah. There are now something like thirteen thousand publishers or something like that. Sounds about there. right. Yeah. You know, there's an awful lot on there, and there are probably going to be a vast number of publishers who put one game up and it sells ten or twenty copies, and that's all it does. Well, that's my experience. But, yeah. <laughs> but that's you know, even that's not a problem because if you've produced a game that is played by one or two people and they enjoy it you've won success yeah, fantastic but if you can put games up some will succeed some will fail some will sell loads and loads and loads and loads and some will barely sell anything mm-hmm. but if you can learn from that and you can learn from why they don't sell and you move on and make another one that more people enjoy you know you're learning you're developing that and being a publisher is great because I get to talk to gaming fans all the time I get to I work for myself in my main job I treat teach scientists in my main job but I uh, during this the next week I'm not doing any scientific training but I'm doing layout on four different products all week that's amazing <laughs> so it means that I'm doing something I really really enjoy to produce something that is going to give people pleasure and makes me a bit of money and it's part of my company you can't say fairer than that can you I mean, that's, that's pretty great I, I have to pinch myself occasionally think is you know am I really doing three jobs work for myself that I enjoy <laughs> and I am and, and I, I wake up every day and I may be horrendously busy I may well you know try and publish six books at one time and do far too much but on the other hand I love every day and I enjoy every day you can't beat that can you can't, can't beat that feeling at all you know I feel like I have to say thanks as well because uh, I think back in 2000 and I, we were trying to work it out me and, me and your colleague Simon were trying to work it out before when it was published but uh, I backed Sources of Urtaruk. That's quite in a while 2014, ago. 2014. Yeah. Maybe? 2014. That sounds about right. Uh, it was like at the time when I was backing loads of stuff on Kickstarter because Kickstarter felt really new and exciting yeah. and, and all that. And then um, I found this little book by somebody who is uh, very close to where I was living at the time. And I thought, this is really cool. Uh, when I started playing this and like, or reading through it, I was like, this is this is great. This is so different from every other role playing game that I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's really informed how I feel about role playing games. How Which I feel is, about designing them. So you know, even though you've not got it to to, to a gaming group, it's changed your view of it gaming, has. It has. and it's and it's it's hopefully improved your view and and so on. And so Definitely. that in itself is a success. Yes, and absolutely. You know, I think I think in this sort of creative industry fans and creators are becoming that line is becoming blurred really 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 blurred yeah. it is yeah i mean I, I will say and if anyone listening wants to write you know i'm just me i get other people to write various products for me but there's various games that i don't publish much for simply because i cannot write for every game constantly and i'm always after people to write adventures to yeah. write supplements to write add-ons even if they're pdf ones you could be talking about a four-page supplement. If it's well-crafted and it fits in with the game line, we'll publish it on PDF. The person makes a bit of money, much. I get support for the game. People get something they enjoy. Yeah. So if anyone listening, just get in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that, that should wrap it up for one day. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for coming on Yes Indeed Pod. And good. good luck with the rest of the convention. Yeah, and hopefully it'll be uh, hopefully it'll be good. So enjoy. Thank you.
thanks for listening, and thanks again to all my guests for their interviews. Sam of SE Games, Richard of Paper Boat Games, Chris of Beyond Cataclysm Books, Bears of Stuff by Bears, and Graham of Orion Games. Thanks also to the staff of Aircon for a wonderful convention experience. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Over the next two months, I'm talking to four people from the RPG LATAM scene, a massive and important scene of South and Central American creators. In addition to designers, we're also talking to translators and other content creators. Our first guest is Argentinian game designer and scene coordinator, Misha Panarin, whose games and supplements focus on onboarding players into campaigns in a palpable and useful way. She was so delightful to speak to, so tune in in two weeks to find out more. This week's episode has been kindly sponsored by Anthropos Games, whose game Heterodoxy is out from June 2022. In Heterodoxy, your group plays as young witches who have been brought together by a mysterious heretic to combat the empire that exiled them. There is no GM, and the campaign progresses as you answer questions together about the history of the heretic and uncover pieces of your own past, all while battling powerful monsters that were once witches like yourselves. The game plays out over 13 rounds that switch between hearth scenes and dramatic ventures. In hearth scenes, your witches teach subversive knowledge to villagers, train together in magic, and build artifacts of power. Players will take turns hosting small roleplay moments that let you heal from previous battles, learn from your mistakes, and prep for upcoming forays. Every witch will participate in one or more of the shared moments each hearth. Ventures are combat encounters that pit you against agents of the Empire and powerful Chimera. These dramatic scenes give you the opportunities to learn about the heretic who brought you all together and to address conflicts within your crew, because after all, when's a better time to air your personal issues than during life or death combat with the enemy? Heterodoxy asks you to create the world and the characters together as you play, and you will uncover the nature of the Empire, the sins of the heretic, and the fates of your young witches. PDFs available from Anthropos Games in June, with print zines published in July. This week, I'd like to thank all of my incredible Patreon supporters. Hessan Yongdi, Sam Armstrong, Beyond Cataclysm Games, Georgie Batts, Sam Lay, Jack Glare, Peter Ike, Audrey Shankle, Patrick Buchner, Thomas Elliott, Carl Rigney, Dono McCarthy, Craig Duffy, and Dale Blackburn. Thank you all so, so much. We couldn't do what we do without you. And you... Yes You can get a regular shout-out and joyful thanks too if you go to patreon.com slash yesindeedpod and sign up today. You'll get access to our Discord server where we can hang out and chat, and even join monthly editing streams and the Yes Indeed Pod book club. Most of the money will go directly to creators rather than to me, so you'll be investing directly in the indie scene, helping to make it a healthy and inclusive place for years to come. And if you can't commit regularly, you can always help out by rating and reviewing the show wherever you find your podcasts, or by donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod That's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. The music from throughout this episode has been Which That Is This? by Dr. Turtle released under attribution non-commercial sharealike 4.0 international license and music in this post-roll and end credits is taken from Be Quiet by Yatsar from the Free Music Archive released under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 International License. Thank you, Dr. Turtle and Yatza. But until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed.